There may have been a target on his chest, but Marquez hit MotoGP for six in Texas. Welcome to Bike Life. Let's go! Yes, so welcome to episode 56 of Bike Life here on Motorsport 101, and this is a huge edition uh, of Bike Life here on Motorsport 101. Might as well call it the greatest bike life, but you won't have to go all the way to Saudi Arabia to find it. MotoGP were in action at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, where Marc Marquez did what he always does, and that is win in the United States. That is now 10 out of 10 for him, and six in a row from pole position in Austin. We'll talk all about how he did it. He didn't necessarily take the direct route this time, um, to winning in the United States. We'll talk all about his victory and Maverick Vinales' return to form by finishing second for Yamaha. We'll talk all about Andre Vizioso, who leaves America as the championship leader, even though he didn't necessarily cover himself in glory there. We'll talk all about the action from Moto2 and 3 as the championship leaders after Qatar both return to the top of the standings in America. We're going to do all of that in the company uh, of myself, Louis Sudeby, and Andre Harrison. Welcome, Dre. Hi, 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 as always. Um, yeah, Mark Marquez takes another win at Cota. Only three things in life are certain, death, taxes, and a Marquez victory in Texas. Um, so, you know, all's bright where that's concerned. But, yeah, an absolutely stacked edition of the show this week. Fun times indeed. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fun show this one, and it's uh, it's not just us to keep up the uh, to keep huh? up the great to keep up the greatest Royal Rumble comparison. It's an all male cast um, here on Bike Live, um, and joining us to talk all about the uh, Grand Prix of the Americas is a man who was right at the heart of it. He was in the paddock last weekend covering the action. Um, it's a very very warm welcome to Bike Live for the first time for Patrick Hofstetter. A warm welcome, Pat. Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, I was. I, I was there. I saw everything. It was me, Austin. It was me all along. We're <laughs> <laughs> tired wrestling jokes. Uh, yeah. Oh, we've got tons of those. Don't worry. First of all, warm welcome to the show. First of all, tell the listeners uh, who perhaps may not have heard your debut on Motorsport 101 a few weeks ago um, where they can find you and where they could find your coverage of the Grand Prix last weekend. Uh, yeah, so I was there uh, representing Hooniverse.com, H-O-O-N-I-V-E-R-S-E. I, I'm dyslexic, so every now and then when I spell something out loud like that, I have to double check to make sure I didn't fuck that one up. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I was there for Hooniverse and uh, my podcast, The DFL Show, which is another motorsports show. Um, but I'm very happy to be here on a bike-focused show so I can talk at, at length about uh, about the weekend. And uh, no, the best way to find me is on Twitter, honestly, at this point. Um, yeah. But I, I can plug that later. Um, yeah, we will, uh, we will do all of that very, very shortly. First of all, let's tell you the places you can find the show. Facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 at twitter we are at motorsport underscore 101 and if you want to follow us personally at lewis sotheby 23 at harrison 101 hd and at party pat 116 have i got that right yes spot on uh go follow him now um and you can also find us on youtube youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 our website is motorsport 101.net and if you like us so much that you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access 
um, to both this show and to Motorsport 101, uh, then back us up Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 backing earns you early access to the podcast. $10 backing earns you access to this Discord server, which gets you earlier early access because you can listen to these shows live as they happen. Um, that includes the very latest Motorsport 101, which went live today as we record this, Dre, um, as the IndyCar triple header hit Barber. It did indeed. Episode 135. Jesus, Mary and Joseph literally went live about an hour and a half ago. Um, so check it out if you haven't already. It's all the talk from the four-day weekend in Alabama as uh, the rain came down pretty hard on Sunday afternoon. But hey, James Hinchcliffe's interviews made up for it. So that's always fun, right? So um, after the Hinchtown hosed me down pilot aired, we had a race on Monday. and said, well, Joseph Ugarden pretty much dominated from start to finish despite some late rain effing some shit up, basically, to say the least, um, between him, Seb Bourdais, and many of the top runners in that one. It's a fun time indeed. Episode 135 with me, RJ, and King, uh, as always. Um, bit, of a, bit of an old school show, only three in the booth this time around. But uh, much, much enjoyment to be had. And check it out if you haven't already. Yeah, listen to that right now. Right, then let's get on with this very, very stacked edition of Bike Live um, because we have World Superbikes to come later on. But first, let's cover the MotoGP Grand Prix of the Americas, uh, which took place at the Circuit of the Americas um, last weekend. And um, let's start with the guy who was there. Um, because, Pat, MotoGP went into this round as as the, sort of the focus of attention for many in the motorsport world, given the mayhem that ensued in Argentina two weeks ago. First of all, just give us an impression from your point of view of just the atmosphere of the weekend. I mean, as I say, there was a lot of uh, a lot of sort of feuds that were unfolding. Alicia Sparco, Dylan Petrucci were at each other's throats on Twitter. Valentino Rossi and Mark Marquez. Everybody knows what happened between them uh, just a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. Just how did you find it? Uh, tame compared to what the media was trying to say was there, yeah. which seems to be, you know par for the course with uh, a lot of a lot of uh sporting feuds where honestly i think valentino and marquez quashed everything in the uh the friday meeting i feel like uh i feel like the only things that were really on still were i think everyone was still pissed at petrucci um <laughs> i think uh there was i think the fans honestly made it more of a calmer attitude than the media because the media was still trying to stir everything mm. entirely because guess what feuds get clicks good job um but no i mean marquez fans rossi fans were just lightly teasing each other and having fun and sitting with one another the entire weekend so it's like it was a really relaxed paddock uh marquez didn't need extra security like he did in italy <laughs> which i had joked about uh with you guys previously but um no yeah i was a the atmosphere was great. Um, relatively somber weekend in America um, with uh, so many loving, great tributes to um, Nikki Hayden all around the circuit and mm. everywhere. Um, yeah, I, I think in all honesty, and I think a couple of the writers said it to me uh, and then other people privately or in a press conference where, you know, the media was kind of doing all of the work to start this feud and when there was the weaker so off it's just kind of kind of fizzled out i i don't think uh 
I think Rossi was heated after Argentina and trying to push for more penalties. And then when that happened, it just, or when that didn't happen, rather, it just kind of, everyone went out uh, along with their business. And I think everyone kind of knew the outcome of this weekend hmm. before it started. So yeah. I think that helped. Yeah, it did. And uh, I, I certainly got the impression, I don't know about you, Joe, from both Marquez and Rossi's pre-race debriefs that were uh, broadcast on MotoGP's Facebook page as they looked to cash in on all the attention uh, on both riders pre-weekend. And they were both kind of keen to move on um, for what had happened um, in Argentina. Um, but it has to be said, a lot of the stories and a lot of the issues that came out of Argentina were still rumbling on because, because we had the rider debrief the safety commission meeting on the Friday night. And we saw that video, didn't we, on the MotoGP social media channels of all of the different riders entering into that small room. How we'd love to be a fly on the wall in that room. Uh, I, I, I'd have emptied my bank account for video footage of that. That would have been fun. <laughs> Apparently, it did get quite heated in there between uh, between Marquez, Rossi, and Pedrosa as well, because Pedrosa kicked up a bit of a stink regarding his uh, his uh, uh, he was the victim of that Zarco pass in Argentina mm. that was you know firm, but shall we say fair. Um, so yeah, like I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall there during that one. Like, like MotoGP social media team and. Uh, and many of the press were going out of their way to spin this one up as much as they could. We don't normally get videos of the bloody safety commission room. No. Not in a million years. They knew exactly what they were doing on this one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for better or worse, it, 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 this is what they. This is what these guys do. They're gonna. They're gonna try and spin this up because Meno GP doesn't normally have this. This. This level of drama, um, artificial or natural. Um, mm-hmm. So. Of course, they're going to spin this up at any given opportunity. I'm, I can't say I'm surprised at all. No, I, have to say, um, I, found, I found the footage of uh, Valentino Rossi putting his arm around Daniel Petrucci and sort of taking him into a corner, very telling. Um, I was, was shocked as he, was, as he was set to be the uh, the main sort of focus of attention in that debrief, given that a lot of people are unhappy, yeah. Alicia included, uh, on the way he uh, conducted himself on track. Um, but one other sort of meeting or press conference that we have to talk about, uh, Pat, while you're here, because... Um, I know you were um, very, very sort of not taken aback, probably the wrong word, but this really had an impact on you. The press conference you were involved in on Friday, because um, we saw Randy Mamola inducted as a MotoGP legend, in inverted commas, essentially it's MotoGP's Hall of Fame, um, that Randy Mamola was inducted to uh, a special moment for him, a special moment for the sport, and I guess a special moment to be part of. I, I was familiar with Randy from videos of that save the photos of him just clowning around and then more recently as his uh work with movie star in uh spain as a pundit because i always thought it was very interesting that an american went over to do punditry in spain oh we love the sport he's he's very good uh and yeah they've i think they're trying to fit i don't think they're trying to phase out the term MotoGP legends, but I think now it is officially a hall of fame and those mm-hmm. inducted become legends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. I think, uh, also Zarco can go suck it cause Mamola deserves it. Yeah. He, Absolutely. Questioned it, didn't he? he said it, it cheapened those who had come before because he, uh, Randy was never a champion. Horseman, and you're... <laughs> Randy came fourth or Randy came twice second four times come on come on 12 12 wins at the top class come on and then everything he's done for the sport charity wise safety wise um 
publicity wise, he's there in the paddock almost every weekend. He loves this sport and he loves everyone involved with it so much. And yeah, it was a really moving press conference, especially because you don't see a lot of these writers, like not even when Casey Stoner retired or anything, talking about the softer side of the sport, the more emotional side of the sport of uh, Randy was friends with Ayrton Senna. And then uh, that weekend uh, also, or a couple weekends later, um, not Kenny Schwartz. Oh God. What's his name? Kevin Schwartz. Yes, Schwantz, there we go. Uh, he was hurt very badly, and Randy talked about how much of an emotional moment that was for him, and he cried a lot, which, you know, you don't usually see top-class sportsmen do because crying is a weakness. Hashtag masculinity. Uh, and I don't know. It, it, I came away very moved from the entire thing hammering home that these paddocks are a family, no matter how much you get at each other's throats sometimes. Um, and I just, no, I thought it was a great press conference. And uh, I got a chance to talk to Randy after the race, uh, no, after qualifying on Saturday. And uh, yeah, he he's amazing. And uh, I'm, I was more than, I felt honored to be there in a weird way. Uh, yeah, yeah, you really got the sense was... from just listening to him just how much it meant to him, whatever anyone else thought, that clearly mm. meant a whole lot to Randy to be to be inducted. And I guess from, from our point of view, Dre, a lot of people, even when you sort of consider what he did on the racetrack, a lot of people first of all were introduced to Randy Muller as a pit reporter, and he was brilliant at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I grew up with him on, on just like you did, Lewis, on British Eurosport. Part of the dream um, with... team. As part of the fact that one of the best motorsport broadcasting teams ever of Toby Moody, Julian Ryder, and um, and uh, Randy Muller in the pits, he, he, like he that was one part. That's how I got to know Randy because I obviously his riding era was before I was even born, really. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely agree. That's that's how I got to know Randy. He he was a fantastic rider. Again, like being a four time top flight runner up is insane. I don't think anyone's done that without winning a major title. He probably will go down alongside Pedrosa as the two greatest, you know, top flight non champions um, for sure. But like, like his legacy runs so much deeper than that. Again, he's a not only was he a fantastic bike rider, he was also. A, a, ge- a generous, you know, very, very open um, figure in the paddock. Um, a fantastic reporter, a fantastic broadcaster, um, a tremendous pundit. And of course, so much he's done off the track for charities or Riders for Health as well. He's done fantastic work for safety, trying to make the sport safer and to give, you know, riders long term health plans and long term, you know, long term health, um, which is, you know, obviously a, a, a big problem in the sport. Obviously, you know, riders having potentially shorter lives because let's, let's let's not let's not cut to the chase here this is this is still a very dangerous sport and you know guys like randy have, have made a big contributions to make the sport better um for its people long term so mm-hmm. i like like in in response to johan zarko i don't care what you tell me he is more than worthy of his place in the hall as a moto gp legend he has done so much for the sport on and off the track um as one of the sport's greatest humanitarians so um I, I i'm i'm delighted for randy and it was wonderful to see his passion for the sport come out which many people already knew but it was still wonderful to see just just to see the man with his heart on his sleeve um just talking about the passion for the sport that he loves so much and you know 
maybe realizing his own contribution to that as well. So um, congratulations again to Randy, and I, I can't think of a of a better a better American figure in recent times to be in the hall. Absolutely. Absolutely. Congratulations to him. A, a well-earned accolade. All right, let's get on with the, the action that took place on track then. Uh, let's start on Saturday with what happened in Q2 as we got the expected Mark Marquez pole position, but it didn't come without controversy. Uh, Mark Marquez controversy seems to follow him wherever he goes these days, and it happened in qualifying as he got in the way of Maverick Vinales as he was going for a fast time in Q2. Now, as it goes, Maverick Vinales just set a fast time on his next lap anyway, so whether it particularly inconvenienced Maverick in the long run is a topic for discussion. But uh, it's a funny one, isn't it, Pat? Because I think if we all look at it on balance, I think Mark Marquez, the penalty was probably correct because um, he did block Maverick Vinales on a fast lap in Q2. But just talk to us about the, the process and the way that decision came about. Well, I... For the longest time, we were told in the media center through everything that his pole position was going to stand. Uh, Maverick and Marquez in Park Ferme shook hands, were all smiles with one another, squashed it. It was not a, not an issue. Um, and then right before, I think as I was walking into the press conference room, uh, we all got the notice that uh, no, Marquez was going to start from fourth for blocking, even though. I don't think it was an intentional block. No. I kind of believed what Marquez said, where he was just listening for an engine and he did not hear the bike that he thought he heard behind him and how close it was. And he was in a he was in a terrible spot to try to get off the racing line. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I think the penalty was fair because the I everyone agreed in the paddock yesterday that. Penalties were going to be harsher, and they were going to be coming. But I think with I think the amount of time between the investigation being started and the penalty happening, and how unclear the messaging was to the media there, it seemed suspect in a weird way. And I don't think as if they were reacting to public pressure. If they were, it's like they were reacting to Twitter, Mm. which. It's like how Reddit has become the new police in NASCAR. I don't, I don't know if doing penalty by public opinion is healthy for any sport. Yeah, sorry um, to cut you, Pat, one second here, but it's like if that was any other dude, would, would we be? Would, would there be such harsh appeals for a free race penalty? I suspect a lot of this was. Based well, we got, well, we got on... a perfect comparison, didn't we, last weekend? Because yeah. Paul Espargaro also got a three-place grip penalty for blocking someone in Q1, but no one really, really campaigned for that. Yeah, it just came up after Marquez got flagged about half an hour later. It was like, well, okay, so it's like now they've got to do Paul Espargaro and give him a penalty as well. But it's like, okay, I'm glad that they warned the riders ahead of time that they were going to be harsher with penalties, which kind of makes you wonder why did why why did it take. Argentina for race direction to actually enforce the rules that they have set. I don't, that's, that's why I don't understand. It's like, oh, we're just going to, oh, these guys are fine. We don't even need to enforce these penalties. It's fine. Um, but, um, you know, it's... I feel like it's because we had two years of them not having to be so brutal, for lack of a better word. I guess. Everyone, everyone was very well behaved in 2016 and 2017, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. As opposed to you know, 2015, the year of the actual blood feud between Marquez and Rossi. 
Um, yeah. No, no one's gotten kicky yet this year. So, and I think everyone's going to be fine. But, uh, yeah, it was just such a weird. It was such a weird thing, and especially it was weird because people at home knew before us in the media center that things had changed. Yeah, Pat. Like, quick, quick question. It's like, like how? Like, it was like it, it, it was like it took about I'd say about two hours after the session actually finished for them to make uh, make it official that Marquez had a free place grid penalty. Was there any sort of hint at all in between that sort of time that this was going to happen? Because I don't know what took them so long. I really don't. It's like, you've got the video footage. I thought it was pretty obvious that Marquez blocked, blocked Maverick on that warm-up lap. Like, what are we really talking about here? Like, what the hell took them so long? We, in, me and a couple of other people, we were pretty we 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 were sure that that was going to stand because of the length of time it took for them to i didn't even know it was reopened because it was to my knowledge closed at one point it was a closed matter well if, if you're inviting riders to the post qualifying press conference you'd think that will be settled then surely yeah and then still go ahead with the press conference anyway and that press conference was it wasn't dark it wasn't dark at all, but there was an air of, yeah, this penalty happened. These three are probably going to be still here tomorrow. <laughs> the way like, Marquez carries himself in Austin is probably the most, uh, if I was another rider, would probably be the most unnerving thing. Like, you could probably put him at, I don't know, back of the grid, and he'd still probably be leading by, like, lap three. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think the penalty mattered. But no. I, I, I think it – I'm of two minds. I think, one, the amount of time made it suspect and feel like a fake penalty. But at the same time, if the penalty had been given immediately, fair to them. Fair to them, correct. So, yeah, I I'd, I'd agree with that. I, 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 say, I thought on balance the penalty was correct because whether he intended to or not, he did hold Maverick up in a, in a yeah. poor part of the racetrack. But, yeah, it didn't matter in the long run because he still went on and won the race quite comfortably Dre he was leading by the essentially the end of lap one he was leading the entire Grand Prix safe for one corner uh, when mm -hmm. Andre Iannone had a bit of a sort of late dive bomb on the brakes into turn 11 which didn't work I mean good penalty or not from very early on in the Grand Prix I arguably before the racing started there was very little doubt as to who was going to win it no, like it, like there was like next to zero intrigue about this one. It's like when it comes to it came to like intensity. This race didn't get out of second gear, unfortunately. Um, turn one is always going to be tricky because it is such a hard braking zone on the opening lap, and you've got to put twenty four bikes through a very narrow turn one apex. Um, we already saw incidents in Moto three that uh, you know guys bumping each other out there because it's it's hard to take multiple lines through there. But as you said, Ian only had one had one dive bomb attempt um, down the inside, and you know that was you know, that, that was fun. Marquez got him back one lap later, sets the fastest lap of the race, and that was the end of the matter. Really, um, yeah, that that was it. Like Marquez just took off after that one. Like Ian only did not have the pace to stop him. I think Ian only admitted after the race he tried, but he just did not have the did not have the speed for it. He fell back a little bit, but. Uh, uh, nothing too ridiculous. Um, but yeah, like Mark, we've said it before and we'll say it again. Marquez is just so magnificent around this circuit. It's, it's, it's terrifying how like, it's like Argentina again. It's like, it's just, 
it is scary how much faster he is than everybody else around here. It's a, it's a good three or four temps. The amount of 204s he was doing in the first half of that race, it was a metronome. It was like there, there was no one else in the same postcode. He was leading that race by, I think, a good seven seconds before he really dialed it down the final two laps. Um, he once reached I the the gap on our, our timing screens uh, was uh, eight and a half seconds at one Jesus. point. And then he won by 3.5 officially over the line. So yeah, he was, no, he that's was, he was, that's he was, that's he was busy dabbing on the way over the line. Um, he was beautiful. waving at the carousel under the tower. So like, yeah. Um, also, we didn't talk about this, but he, he crashed in qualifying and still, still did pull. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, is, this is part I, I guess in many ways it's, it's still part of the brilliance of Mark Marquez how he's able to like many people will start at sort of 95% of the limit and then work their way up Marquez starts 5% over it and then works his way back um, yeah, to, to the point that by the time up. he gets into the race that he's he, he knows where the limit is and he's you know, we see him go over the limit plenty of times in practice and qualifying but he knows where the limit is by the time the race starts the, so he doesn't hit it again um, say for Argentina he's very, obviously he's... He's very smart, but he is also a psychopath. Yes. <laughs> I need to crash this motorcycle at race speed yeah. so I know how to not crash this motorcycle later. Yeah, and, and somehow doesn't crash. get injured as well. He somehow doesn't get injured when he does this as well. It, it's incredible how he how few times he's been injured in the past. Um, and what was fascinating to me was how he explained how his approach changed. I mean, he, he probably could have done this, whatever happens in code anyway, but he, re- he referenced Argentina. Um, and how when he came up behind other guys who were so much slower than him, he had trouble overtaking them because of the speed difference. And he decided this time he was going to get out front early and just drop the field and then control it from there, as he did. Um, which just kind of gives us a bit of an insight into how Argentina impacted on him and that it made him change his approach ever so slightly. Um, but you know, he, he still received a bit of disappointing uh, a bit of a disappointing reception from the public after he won the race. There was still some booing on the rostrum um, after yeah. he won the Grand Prix. Um, they were yeah. all wearing a certain number. Uh, precisely. Oh, uh, I imagine it's probably painted yellow. Um, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Um, but, but what, <laughs> again, I mean, we have to try and take the opportunity wherever we can to defend Mark Marquez. Obviously, there are times when he can't be defended, as Argentina proved. But um, we all loved his celebration over the line, didn't we? His, his dab over the line. And, you know, that just seems like, oh, that's a fun celebration. But there was actually a story behind it where he referenced a, yeah. UNICEF, a UNICEF function he went to um, prior to getting into into Austin for the Grand Prix. Um, and that, that sort of the dab and the dance he did before that, a, a child did to him. And he promised that a child that if he wins the Grand Prix, he will do that gesture as his celebration after winning the Grand Prix. Um, I mean, just little touches like that just show us that, yes, his riding can be questioned at times, but... The man underneath the crash helmet is a lovely guy that really shouldn't be getting booed after winning a Grand Prix, should he? No. He reminds me of, you know, every now and then he'll lose his mind when he's riding. But when he's off the bike, when he is with other people, he is the most lovely person. I have had the pleasure of talking to him a couple times here in Austin, and he's always been the nicest, most lovely person treats everyone fantastically, loves working with kids, loves working with anything that he can. And it's just, yeah, I I don't even know if Argentina was, all of it was indefensible, but like, yeah, I, I don't get the, the mindless hate of Marc Marquez. It seems, it seems unfair in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to chip in on this one as well. Yeah, I think I think like there's going to be a, a pocket of I think Rossi fans who are that are never going to be convinced by what Marquez does on or off the bike, which is a shame because I do genuinely think they're more alike than they give credit for, mm. um, in terms of in terms of personality, in terms of character off off the bike, in terms of their dedication and their will to win. I think they're a lot more similar than they would ever admit to each other. I think especially on Rossi's end. Uh, I mean, Marcus has always said that Rossi's been his idol, and, uh, and we're inclined to believe him. We've seen the evidence. But as you say, like, no, Marquez is a delightful human being. Like, I've never had a bad word to say about Marquez off the bike. I don't think he's ever been, ever said or done anything problematic from a PR standpoint as as a rider or as a human being. He he seems to be on the right side of history most of the time. And like I said, like, like who, who dabs over the finish line? <laughs> like, this guy, like, I've said it before, this guy is a breath of fresh air to a sport that... Until him didn't really have any marketable characters. I mean, obviously, it was besides the easiest Valentino, thumbnail but... we've ever chosen for this show. Yes, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> we, 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 like Lewis spent a whole grand total of about sixteen seconds trying to find that one. Um, but uh, like, like I said, like the, the idea of him dabbing over the line, laughing at him, and then realizing he did it to—he did it for a kid for the UNICEF Foundation. Like, like that is just the most delightful story, and. That is the most Mark Marquez thing I've ever seen. And, you know, it, it's mm. nice that for all the controversy the man does seem to generate, you know, whether it's his fault or not, it's a nice reminder that this guy is still a genius and the absolute best rider on the planet on his day. And this was one of those days where he just looked invincible. Um, around around Coda, I think it's hard to argue that he's maybe the best rider MotoGP has ever seen. It's up there. I, I mean, I mean, watched the lives of Rossi in his prime. Mm. I think Marquez is better, honestly. Yeah, I mean, there, how, how, how few races can you think of in any form of motorsport anywhere in the world where before the first practice session of the weekend gets underway, the identity of the race winner is the nearest thing to a cast iron certainty um, yeah. that you can have in motorsport? You know, very few races does someone have that level of dominance at an event. Um, that the, the, you know, it, it's just incredible at the level of dominance he has, and he's not only dominant around the circuit of the Americas, Pat. But when we look at the three races we've had so far, it still spells a bit of an ominous tone for the championship too. I mean, he doesn't lead it at the moment; he's one point behind Andre Vizioso, who we'll talk about in a in a little bit. Um, but when we consider that he was a very close second in Qatar at a circuit that is known not to favour the Hondas given how much acceleration out of straights you, onto straights you need, which a Honda doesn't particularly excel in. Um, and the fact that had the race been anything like normal in Argentina, he was a good half second a lot quicker than the field there too. For the season mm-hmm. as a whole, it kind of spells a bit of an ominous tone that Mark Marquez is the odds-on favourite to still retain his title. I feel like I feel like that's what gives me the, uh, the edge in my argument that he might be better than Rossi. He's certainly better than Rossi now. Hmm. Um, but... Other riders will really, really struggle when their bike is not suited to a track. Marquez seems to be able to like, yeah, this isn't a Honda track, but I'll make it work. Yeah. Which is scary as hell if I was another rider. Um, <laughs> and I think he has a home at Repsol Honda for his entire career if he wants it. Well, I don't see him ever... Hmm? What's I say, Pat? Look at his teammate. Oh yeah, I mean, this, this is year eleven of Danny Pedrosa at Repsol Honda. They, they've they've looked after him, and he's looked after them. 
Oh god, has it been a decade? Yeah, 2006 Eleven years, yeah, 2006 was his debut. One this year, is... every year his neck gets longer, he looks more tired. <laughs> Danny, yeah. Danny's a good guy, but holy, holy shit. I, I always forget how long his neck is. <laughs> and then I both see the, I see a, a picture, I'm like, did I Photoshop his neck so he's the same height as Marquez? And then I see, <laughs> and then I see him in person, I was like, oh god, no. No, no he really is that short. He's that short, and it's so much neck. He's five foot two, Pat. Five, and five like two inches are neck. <laughs> He's a foot shorter than me, and I, and I think Lewis is about the same is the same height as me. Uh, so it's like, oh man, it's he really is, is that six tall. two. Yeah, we're six two. You weird giants. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not that tall, mate. I'm gonna say I'm not quite that tall. But no, I mean, Honda. Honda are a, a loyal company, as they as they've proven with Pedroza, as they've proved over many years uh, with Jonathan Ray and World Superbikes, and he was Absolutely. loyal to them, much to his detriment. With McLaren the end. and um, wait, wait, what? What did I say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were loyal to McLaren. It just wasn't really reciprocated, was it? In the end, um, but, but no, they um, they're a loyal company, and as you say, Matt Marquez has has given them so much. Um, he's got so much credit in the bank with that company that he's pretty much got a seat for life, as you say, um, with that team. Um, let's talk about the man that finished second then in the Grand Prix. Um, is interesting facial hair, notwithstanding, Maverick Vinales having his. Best race of the season so far, and Movie Star Yamaha's best race of the season so far. I very nearly said it's Yamaha's best result, but of course it equals Zarco's second place on the two-year-old bike in Argentina uh, behind <laughs> Cal Crutchlow. Um, so it equals Yamaha's best of the year. And, Dre, it has to be said that you almost have to factor Mark Marquez out of this when you're looking at Yamaha mm. and their performances, because Marquez always wins at a counter in Texas. So... For Yamaha to be comfortably in Maverick Vinales, the best of the rest, has to be some source of encouragement for them. Yeah, it definitely has to be. And, you know, like I read a lot of interviews camp, and they did seem to be a lot more optimistic after this weekend. They, they announced that they had a, they'd taken a, a different approach to the electronics package, um, saying they were running a more aggressive setup mm. um, with the electronics this weekend, and it seemed to do wonders for him. I mean, Maverick. I mean, this is, I'm not entirely surprised he finished in second because he was strong here last year as well. Before he had his his his, his crash in the race, he was probably definitely the closest anyone's got to out qualifying Marquez um, mm. in Texas before. Like Maverick was right on the door on that one. So um, I'm not. Like, Maverick seems to like this place, and he's gone well here last year. So I'm not entirely surprised he finished in second. But uh, yeah, in there as well. Indeed, um, so, and that was only what his second ever career race. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, he's always he's always liked it around there. Um, so, but yeah, like you said, the Yamaha have taken a different approach to electronics, and like from all the counts I've heard in that camp from Maverick and from Valentino, they seem to be a lot more optimistic about the setup of the bike. Um, they they said it definitely made a difference. Um, and it, they, they say, you know, it might have found something for them going forward. And, I mean, Haref is going to be a bit of a blank canvas because the track's just been resurfaced. Um, so mm -hmm. we don't know what we, we don't know what's going to happen, really. Much to Yamaha's relief. Um, yeah, because, you know, we all know, you know, those Yamaha's really struggled last year in, uh, in when it came to damaged uh damaged track conditions you could say they were not strong at all um so yamaha tend to go better on on, on you know newly resurfaced tracks so there's going to be a black slate for everybody really going forward we have no idea what's going to happen on these michelands and that's kind of the beauty of it really but um as he as i said the, a, a, a good weekend for yamaha their best 
in a while, I would argue. Um, not the win on this occasion, but it's as good as a win, given how good Marquez is around here. Second and fourth is about as good as Yamaha could have realistically hoped for on that one. Um, they were ahead of the Ducatis, which is a good sign as mm -hmm. well. Um, in terms of the, the teams and manufacturer standings, that's always a good result if you can put one up ahead of the Ducati with Dovi finishing in fifth. So, yeah, there's a lot of optimism to look forward to out of the boys in blue on this weekend. Yeah, which I, I think Rossi, even though he was one of the most vo vocal complainers about the, the state of Coda this weekend, it was, uh, he, I think he flattered himself around Coda by putting that forth. Because we were all pegging him around sixth in qualifying, um, and then probably the same in the race, because he's never been great around Coda. And, uh, but no, Maverick... Maverick looked not the most com not not Marquez levels of comfortable this weekend, but they they felt secretly very quietly confident with what they've done with the electronics package. Also, they would not shut up about what they've done for the electronics package on that bike. No. They, are, <laughs> they are very proud of the time and money they spent on that electronics package. <laughs> they did. They, yeah. they were very vocal about that. But yeah, as, as, very... you say, as you say, Dre, Hareth in, in, in a week's time may well be the, the real acid test to see what kind of progress they've made because uh, your Valentino did finish second there last year uh, on the Yamaha, so it's not like they're in uncharted territory around Texas. They have had podiums there um, before. Um, what about the other guy on the podium, though, Pat? Um, I mean... <laughs> He kind of came from nowhere in terms of his performance in the first couple of weekends of the season, but we shouldn't be surprised that Suzuki's up there because Rins was on the podium um, in Argentina. Mm -hmm. But um, a great weekend from start to finish because he was fastest on Friday, uh, Andre Iannone. And I guess you could probably attest to the fact that press conferences are always more interesting when Andre Iannone is involved. Yes, he's, <laughs> he's a... I almost said something else. But <laughs> He's a very weird, very charm, weirdly charming man. Um, it's the Italian in him. <laughs> yeah, um, he he was uh, fantastic. I got a great picture of him. He he's very emotive during press conferences, which is usually not you know how press conferences go. He was like, if he couldn't hear someone, he was leaning over and putting his hand to his ear to like try to hear better. And I I don't know. He, he seemed frustrated that he couldn't go any faster than he could. Or he felt frustrated that he was not the fastest one out there because I think he was very happy with that Suzuki this weekend. Uh, or at least very happy with himself and his own performance this weekend. And, man, I think, I think he is going to be the Suzuki that... I think he's going to be the leader of Suzuki going forward. Uh, he seems to have the energy and enthusiasm to continue to help Suzuki get up with the other factories. You um, know, I'll, I'll say to add on to that real quick, Pat, as well, just saying, I, I saw Park Ferme after he parked that bike up. To, that was his first Suzuki podium. You know what it looked like to me? Relief. Like, oh, it, yeah. It, it looked like relief. This was this this has been a guy that has been plastered in the media for the last year and a chunk. Um, a lot of it justified, in all yeah, fairness. Had Suzuki um, legends calling him out. Yeah, like he's he's been he's been kicked from pillar to post from Suzuki's higher up. Some of his legendary figures like Kevin Schwartz and you know Alex Rins, you know ending last season very well, obviously beginning this season quite strongly. 
Um, and all of a sudden, the tables have turned a little bit with Rins having two DNFs in the first three rounds and Ian Oni now all of a sudden getting a podium of his own. It was nice to see a, a return of Crazy Joe this week and the only guy that even had half a sniff of trying to pass Marquez all race long in that one. So God bless him for trying. Um, but um, yeah, like that was that was as good as Ian Oni was going to get that weekend. He was Again, this wasn't a fluke. He was strong all weekend long. Um, very very strong weekend, and again, it's it's a nice it's a nice acid test. So the Suzuki are not fluking this anymore. Like they are, they are like they are challenging for podiums, even when it's not a race of attrition, like we like we got in Argentina, which was kind of freakish, just having four satellite teams effectively at the front of the grid. It's 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 the second, arguably third race in a row. Suzuki been in leading groups challenging for podiums that's a very good sign for, for that team going forward yeah and it's two races running where they've been legitimately the third fastest bike in the field where only a honda mm. and the yamaha have beaten them they've beaten ducati in two races running now um mm-hmm. courtesy of you know and it's results like this and performances like this that make so many people ourselves included on occasions cape for this guy because he can be so good he, i mean your know, performances like the one which we all remember at phillip island back in 2015 you know they they are unfortunately too few and far between at the moment. You know, we I think if he, if he was at that level or close to that level more regularly, I don't think anyone would be questioning his place in that Suzuki team. Or arguably, he'd perhaps still be at the Ducati team um, rather than rather than losing his spot to to Jorge Lorenzo at the start of last year. You know, he has that talent, he has that level of upside, but he's he's still a bit inconsistent. I suppose is the polite way of putting it. We still don't quite know from one weekend to the next which Andrea Inoni is going to turn up. But when that Andrea turns up. He's a match for anybody uh, in the sport, and it was great to see him right back at th- that level of performance that we know he's capable of, uh, where he can light up motor races, and, and he split the factory Yamahas um, last weekend. Um, we've already covered uh, Valentino Rossi, who finished fourth, but um, fifth place in the end went to the leading of the Ducatis, the aforementioned Andrea Davizioso. Um, I can say one more thing about yeah. Iannone before we move on to uh, the other Andrea. I feel like he something came back to him after he crossed the the finish line on Sunday. He his he carried himself different. It's like he won the race in a lot of ways. It's uh I I feel like we're going to see the good ENONA for the rest of the year and uh or at least I hope so. Hmm. I hope I hope he gives Suzuki uh you know a place to put their money. Yeah, uh, put their money where their mouth is. Yes, sure. That analogy kind of works. <laughs> Let's do it. The sport would certainly be better for it, wouldn't it, if Andre Dodi is is consistently at that level um, going yeah. forward? So, so yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk Dovi then, Dre. And mm. I mean, how concerned I suppose will Ducati be by that relatively poor performance they had in Texas? Because as, as Pat mentioned earlier on in the show, they've never particularly hit the heights in Austin before. I mean, they, I think they've had a podium through Davizioso in the past. Uh, from memory, but they've never really um, been particularly stellar around there. So I guess we shouldn't be too concerned that Ducati were off the pace in Texas, and Dovi surely won't be that concerned because he leaves there and heads back to Europe as the championship leader again. Exactly. This is exactly the point I was about to make. Yeah, Ducati have never gone particularly strongly around here. I mean, I get it. Couple of podium performances around here, but they've, t- they've tended to be lonely races where. He's either led the second group or he's, he's, he's again, not, not been nowhere near Marquez. 
Um, this was more of the same, really. He was he was the leader of the third group in this occasion. It was, you know, Maverick, Ian Oney, and Rossi were relatively close together. Um, but Dovi was leading pack two, and he had a rampant Pedrosa all over him, and he held him off pretty much the, the entire race. Um, luckily, there was no contact this year between those two, thankfully. Hmm. But, but um, yeah, I, like... Let's put it this way. If you're Andrea Vizioso, you've left two of Marquez's strongest rounds and you're a point in front. Um, Ducati doesn't tend to go well around her ref or next round up. So Dovi certainly doesn't. I mean, Lorenzo was on the podium here last year, but um, Dovi doesn't seem to like her ref very much. Um, so once he, if he can ride this out and get to Le Mans and he's only still a handful of points behind, there's no reason why Dovi's got any reason title challenge just yet um like i said he's left two of marquez's banker rounds argentina and cota and he's a point in front like they, they have to take the positives in that because dovi mm. has not looked particularly strong since that opening round in qatar um it seems to be another case where dovi can't seem to salvage a good result on a bad day um fifth isn't terrible but marquez is capable of better than that on a bad day let's put it that way and that's i think where the difference is between those two as riders but as said like Do- i think dovi will be optimistic going into her f knowing he's knowing he's a point in front after because marquez always starts well because of the, mm. the, the nature of the calendar mm-hmm. I, Go on, Barry, uh, I don't i think i think dovi was limited by the ducati this week oh, yeah. i don't think okay. he was i think fifth was the maximum he could achieve he was even there were points of the race where he was after Rossi made a couple minor mistakes that he uh he almost was sniffing on fourth for Rossi and I don't know I I think Davi has a very good uh thing going right now which is stay out of all of the drama keep my head down keep getting good points results and maybe win a title that way I don't know hmm. he there there are some I think well Ducati is still I think Ducati is still in a rebuilding process in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. I mean, he, he first of all, he's still very much comfortably the leader in his team. More on that later uh, when we talk mm. about Jorge Lorenzo. But that, yeah, but that yeah, that, that was the point. That was the, the, so dark. the point I was going to make on on Dovi and Ducati are, and, and if I was going to be slightly pessimistic, the one concern I'd have is that I think back to the Sepang test, Ray, and how quick they were, and how. Mm. Bullish, how bullish they were, how bullish Stoner was, how bullish Lorenzo was about how much better this chassis was for 2018. The big question we were having about Ducati preseason as to whether they were going to win a championship is, why are they going to be, is that bike going to have less of its off weekends? Were they going to be better around their, in inverted commas, weaker tracks? Um, and so far, we're two for two on Ducati's weaker tracks, and they've been no better on either of them. Um, compared to yeah. last season, which gives me a concern that when we get to places like Aragon, places like Saxaring, places like Phillip Island, where Dobby's title hopes really went to the uh, to the weeds last year, I kind of worry that they're not going to be no better there either. Yeah, you're quite right. That you, now, you, now you bring it up. That camp made a lot of noise um, in, in the off-season last year, especially from Casey Stoner, who wasn't even riding professionally um, in terms of being on the grid. But they were making a lot of noise about how the EPA team was good when Lorenzo broke the all-time lap record at 
at Sepang, he said it was a good lap, not a great lap, and that there was more to come. And we've not seen it yet. If anything, Lorenzo looks worse on it in actual race trim. Than and he we're did still hearing the same complaints from their riders about the front end. The bike won't turn. Yeah, like the Hodson spoke. The Hodson spoke to Jorge Lorenzo off the record during the weekend, and Lorenzo said to Hodson, "The number one problem with the bike is it doesn't turn in. It just doesn't turn properly." And you know, Lorenzo hasn't turned in for ten years. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, yeah, there's it's, there's a lot of the same complaints coming out of that camp with this GP18, and Dovi is such a phenomenal rider that he will still probably kick it into touch, still probably win four or five a year, mm-hmm. and will probably give Marquez a good challenge. But that bike still fundamentally, I don't think, is still the all-rounder that Yamaha was a couple of years ago or what Honda seems to be now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, concerns for Ducati still, I think, going forward. We'll see how competitive they are um, around Jerez, which for a bike that's... that's... Yeah, yeah. for a bike that's I, notably I... good on the straights, Jerez doesn't particularly allow that Ducati to stretch its legs all that much. No, not at all. Um, also, I think one of their riders has already checked out of being <laughs> part of that team. You think? Added... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's, so talk, let's talk I... about that now, then. Jorge Lorenzo, yeah. who, who finished the Grand Prix. I have to look a long way down to find him. He was down in 11th place uh, in the Grand Prix. He was beaten to the flag by the Aprilia of Alicia Spargo. He was beaten to the oh, flag God. by two other Ducatis, even when you forget Davizioso, who on on the sister bikes, Lorenzo was 18 seconds up the road. Uh, he was also beaten by Tito Rabat and Jack Miller, who were both on 2017 Ducatis. Um, on Jorge Lorenzo, I mean, Pat, we asked the question a couple of weeks ago after Argentina with Lorenzo, whereas we were told for a lot of last year that he was going to get better on that bike. He was just he was adjusting to the new way of riding a bike on that Ducati, and they'd eventually crack it. Surely, if he was going to have cracked it on that Ducati, he would have done it by now. I, yeah, absolutely. If it, if it was ever going to happen, this Michelin-Ducati combo that he has struggled with so much, it would have happened by now. Hmm. Uh, wasn't he... I don't want to rub dirt into it anymore. I think one of the Ducatis he was beat with was also a GP16. Ooh, I think Tito Rabat is on a 17. Um, oh, no, no, no. They have moved him to a 17. Yeah. That's right. It's yeah, he's on a 17. the 16. It's his teammate that has the yeah. 16. Abraham I'm, I'm and Sibion are on the 16s. I am. Uh, I, I have my uh, Red Bull Grand Prix of the Americas official race program here next to me to <laughs> refer to a couple things too. But yeah, I I poked my. I got to poke my head into that garage. I don't know if I was supposed to be able to at the time, but they were letting some media poke their heads <laughs> in. Uh, one half of that garage seems excited and uh, full of energy. And the other side of the garage is Lorenzo's. Hmm. I don't... I expect someone new on that bike next year at the... Well, I don't even know. I expect someone on that bike, new on that bike, this uh, next year at the very latest. How about that? I don't know if... I don't know what Lorenzo does. I don't know where he goes. Um, Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to wrap his head around that bike. I don't know if he's ever going to wrap his head around the Michelin. No, because he, he was he was beaten by his teammate in 2016 as well, wasn't he? Uh, at mm-hmm. Yamaha, and I mean the the bare facts tell a pretty grim storage rate. Three races, six points um, for Jorge Lorenzo. Um, hasn't finished in the top ten of a Grand Prix yet. 
um, in 2018. Um, that 11th in Kota was his best result of the season so far. Oh, um, God. Which, which, which is so astonishing. Um, and this is Jorge Lorenzo we're talking about, a five-time world champion. Um, but, I mean, where does he go um, if, if, if he leaves Ducati? Because even if he stays at Ducati, which is looking less and less likely by the week, he'd have to take a significant pay cut, which let alone the, the impact that has on his bank balance, that's a pretty hard pill to swallow for his pride, isn't it? To have to take a huge pay cut because his performances haven't justified his salary. Um, but it, it's pretty clear that, I mean, Yamaha aren't going to take him back in if he wanted it. Their spots are filled. Um, yep. Honda uh, looking elsewhere, clearly. And, you know, why would they want to break up the Marquez-Pedroza partnership? It's working so well for them. Um, oh, I can think of a reason. <laughs> Well, but, all, but all that leaves for, for, for Jorge Lorenzo, Dre, is a huge gamble on KTM, which it looks like Joan Zarco is going to take. Um, an even bigger gamble on Aprilia, which I don't think even they could uh, summon up the change to uh, to pay Jorge. Um, no or the likeliest outcome, which is Suzuki. Suzuki is the most viable option here, but Andre Rianoni looks to it like he might have turned a corner, and that could be a problem for Lorenzo. Mm. Like, I've heard from City Season Talk that Alex Rind is all but confirmed for a two-year extension. It's looking like that's going to be announced soon. Oh, is that, is, is that not official? Not yet, but, I'm, okay. but I'm, here, I'm hearing in the next couple of weeks they're going to announce that Rind has signed a two-year deal to, to stay on it. It's all but confirmed, and people in the panic know it. Rind is going to be there for another two years, um, maybe even as the leader of that team going forward, because the fact that apparently Suzuki loves Alex Rind. Um and can you blame him with the given the early season form he showed i mean yeah the results may not be there but the the pace has been incredibly reassuring ian only he's not quite worked out so far but if he has more days like he had at kota then why would suzuki drop him um that, that that's the thing if you can have two consistently good riders challenging for podiums you're not going to break that team up like lorenzo is a huge gamble on that like to try maybe find an extra tempo or two but if, if Ducati has proven one thing, it looks like he can't adapt his riding style to a different bike. And Suzuki's a different sort of kettle of fish again. Yeah, the Do only, really the only crumb of comfort over? for him would be that Suzuki is probably most like a Yamaha that you'd find yes. in the field. Indeed, in the sense of that, you know, people in the paddock say that a Suzuki is, is quite rider-friendly in that sense. It's it's quite similar to Yamaha in that in, on that dynamic, but... Do you want to risk that, or um, with by throwing a ton more factory money at Jorge Lorenzo instead of Andre Rianoni and hope that he's better than him? Which, you know, that's still a pretty high mark if he only can get on the podium with that bike. So there's no guarantee Lorenzo is going to be any better right now. And if Suzuki doesn't work out, where the hell does he go from there? A satellite team, um, like somewhere like a Pramac, maybe, or a. Or a, a uh, and, well, as I said, Pramac, Pramac are already sorted, aren't they, with, with Miller and Banyaya for next year. Mm. Marvin yesterday, the interesting one, in that they, following on the Suzuki theme, look all but certain to be running satellite Suzuki bikes next year um, at Marvin yes, but we don't quite know which riders will be sat on them at the moment. They have two rookies who mm. they presumably won't want to have given up on just yet. I mean, not a pretty effort, good to say. Um, they've, they've got Morbidelli and Luti as their two rookies within that team. Um, so yeah, the the spots are quickly. I mean, that's one thing we're learning at the moment in MotoGP. The spots for the next season get filled earlier and earlier. Um, with with what one one year goes into the next. I mean, yeah. KTM spots are getting filled. It looks like Joan Zarco is replacing Bradley Smith um, at the KTM team for next year. 
Um, and it looks like Miguel Oliveira is going to be one of the Tech 3 KTM riders next year, if you believe what you read um, in MCN, which doesn't leave a lot of space for Jorge. So he's going to have to buck his ideas up pretty quick just to... I mean, did we ever think we'd be in a situation where Jorge Lorenzo's very future in the series is up for, up for discussion? Um, which it is at the moment. I mean, it's as sad as it is to say, it, it, we always said when he moved to Ducati, he's putting his reputation on the line. And it doesn't mm-hmm. look like his reputation is going to stick up. He's putting his reputation and career on yeah. the line, it seemed like. Yeah, and um, it doesn't look like either of them are going to stand up at the moment. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, it's, 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 it's not a good sign. It is not a good sign. Because I said, like, his factory days might certainly be over because they seem to be locked up. They seem to have locked a lot of their talent down already. Obviously, Marquez, both the Yamahas, probably Dovi, even though he just rejected Ducati's first offer of a contract, which I thought was interesting. Um, oh, well, it's yeah, less it, interesting when you, when you actually look at the numbers and how, you know, they were trying to kind of offer him only, like, a slight pay raise when he's been flattering and destroying the person that they pay 12 million euro a year. And he's not going to go to KTM because KTM are laughing at Ducati. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're paying him 12 million euros a year and he can't even And I was like, oh my God, the sass coming out of the KTM camp. So they're not going to want him. Um, they have their young their young riders academy in Moto2 with Mikola Nivera and Brad Binder. So. Sad. So, a satellite Yamaha. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if there's any way they could make that work for him. Mm, I don't would, think he'd ever go back to the factory. probably mean he'd have to join, likely, yeah. the Avintia team, who may well be, yeah. or, or the Ankel Nieto team. One of those two are probably going to pick the Yamahas up. Yeah, I think, I think Jorge is in a very, very weird place right now. I don't think he'll go ride a Honda anywhere. I think he'll go ride a satellite Ducati. Um, yeah, it's... What a weird... If you had told me a couple years ago that we, we would be having this conversation, I would yeah. call you a crazy person. Oh, I, I'd have caught myself it. I, I, yeah, it's amazing how, how we find ourselves, especially he's, a, he's in many ways a victim of just how stacked the talent pool is now uh, in MotoGP. Mm-hmm. There are so many strong riders now that... You know, it's not like a few years ago where he could have a poor season and still land in a pretty, um, pretty stellar seat. It, that you know, there are so many good bikes out there, but so many good riders to fill them um, that he's in a bit of a tough spot. And we mentioned Zarco previously. Um, he finished sixth in Kota. There wasn't an awful lot to really talk about from that. He didn't centre punch Valentino Rossi like he did a year ago. Um, so, oh, right. all, so all we can really talk about from Zarco's week is what's happened off track, and that again focuses on silly season because it looks. To all intents and purposes, like he's going to be fronting up the factory KTM squad in 2019. Um, now, he had to go somewhere because if he stays at Tech 3, he's on a KTM anyway. Um, you know, it'll be very difficult for him to stay on the Yamaha that he's riding now. But how big a gamble do you guys see that move at? Because there were rumors in recent weeks that there was a potential Honda seat there for him. Um, we don't quite know how serious that link was. Um, but he's going to KTM, who still appear to be very much a work in progress. Um, if you're Zarko, it might just be a matter of, I don't care, give me that factory money. Yeah, um, I'll wait for because, them to get good. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't mind sticking it out for a year or two if it means I'm getting paid that sweet, sweet KTM factory money to be the face of the team going forward. Because, I mean, 
if they're making plays for Johan Zarco, that says to me that they're not completely happy with Paul Espargaro, even though he's been fantastic leading that KTM going forward and basically rising to the occasion as that bike has developed. Um, they clearly want a franchise piece. Um, it's uh, to go to go for someone like Johan Zarco has been nothing but incredible since he started his top flight career. Um, it's a gamble for Zarco because he's, I mean, that, 2016 Yamaha is still a very competitive bike that is capable of finishing in the top six at least pretty much everywhere now. So it's it's no fluke anymore. And, you know, it's it's proof that that Yamaha is a very, very good bike. And I'm not sure anything in the paddock that Zarco will get on is going to be any better than that. And KTM is still, by the looks of it, a way away from where that Tech 3 bike is at the moment. Um so, I think it's a big gamble for Zarco, but it depends on what his motivations are as well. To sack a year or two, um, which will be interesting given he's, if he's given his age. He's, I think he's, what, 27, 28 years old now. Mm. Um, he's not got very many prime years left. Um, but if he's willing to take a year or two out and, you know, focus on getting that top-tier factory money because his time in the top might be limited given his he was a bit of a late bloomer in terms of his biking career, then, hey, why not sit out a year or two in terms of being right at the front of the field and maybe watch the rise of KTM come through? Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that in, in future weeks with, with Zarko. He has got a history yeah. with KTM. He was the first ever Red Bull uh, Rookies champion um, at KTM mm-hmm. back series. So there is clearly a link there that they... They get on and they have um, some successful history. So we'll see if Zarko does indeed make that switch. It's not official yet, but it does look highly uh, likely. Um, let's wait until the I result. I might take issue with uh, Dre's premise a little bit. I don't know. I don't think 27 is... I don't think he's in his twilight at 27. Oh, no, no, look, no. It's just... Look at the average rate, uh, age of like the top factory guys now. They're all in their 30s, unless you're Marquez at this point. Okay, to be fair, though, one, he got into the top class quite late for a moment. True, days, true, true, and, true. And two, did anybody expect him to be that good last season? Oh, God, no. No, no, no. Exactly. That's the, that's the reason why I'm coming from that perspective. I'm not saying that Sell because... while your stock is high, basically, is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm smart. saying. Okay, smart. Yep, smart. Better argument. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I think KTM and... KTM is now there. Like, it's... Repsol still has their, they're going to ride with that Red Bull sponsorship forever, mm. but I, Red Bull and KTM are dumping cash into this program in a way that none of the other new factories have. Yeah, they're, like, they're Suzuki's put this. money in, but KTM want a championship within a decade. So yeah, they whenever they enter motorsport, they enter it to win. Um, you know, they don't mm-hmm. enter it for anything else. And uh, and yeah, I mean, I guess as well, it, it sort of zones in on how big a rider's ego is. Because I still a, a quote still sticks in my head from from when I was at the British Grand Prix last year, and Cal Crutchlow was speaking at Silverstone about the KTM's progress, and he essentially said, "Just imagine what that bike would do if it had a top rider on it," um, which was a bit of a bit of a sort of dig at Paul and Bradley, it has to be said, but. Um, that's what I guess riders like Zarko may well be telling themselves. If Zarko clearly sees himself as one of MotoGP's elite, he'll be looking at that KTM and thinking, well, that's doing a pretty good job. Put me on that bike, and it'll be even further up the grid than it is at mm-hmm. the moment. So we'll follow that one with interest and see if Zarko does indeed um, make that switch. The result then from Cota, Marquez, the winner, of course, from Vinales um, <laughs> by three and a half seconds, uh, although that really flatters Maverick, if nothing else. He finished second ahead of Yanone and Rossi. 
Davizioso fifth from Zarco, and Pedroza, who finished seventh despite breaking his wrist a fortnight ago. Uh, an incredible result from him. Uh, Tito Rabat in eighth. He's continuing his revival on Ducati machinery. Jack Miller ninth from 18th on the grid. Not as impressive as he was in Argentina, but still impressive given where he qualified. Uh, and Alessio Spargaro giving getting his first points of the season in 10th on the Aprilia, beating Lorenzo to the flag. Um, the rest of the points were taken up by Lorenzo in 11th, Petrucci in 12th, Paul Spargaro in 13th on the KTM, Takaki Nakagami in 14th, and Alvaro Bautista uh, beating Bradley Smith to the final point uh, in 15th. The championship standings then, uh, three rounds in as we head back to Europe. Andrea Davizioso leads by one point. Um, from Matt Marquez. It shows how jumbled up these first three races are, that from a possible 75 points, Davizioso leads it on 46. Uh, he's one ahead of Marquez, and then Marquez is four ahead of Vinales, who's third. Cal Crutchlow, who did lead the championship prior to Texas, he uh, crashed his championship lead away at the final corner, midway through the Grand Prix. He's dropped to fourth. Yeah, he came over all <laughs> Cal again. Um, we're not calling this one. Sorry, Cal, though. Um, he's 38. Don't doubt me. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's 38 points, so he's eight off the lead. Joan Zarco level with him in fifth. Uh, Andre Inoni is up to sixth on 31. Rossi is on 29 points, but he's still only seventh. He's 17 off the outright lead. Jack Miller eighth on 26. Rabat ninth on 22. And Danilo Petrucci completes the top 10 in the championship on 21 points. 25 points covers the top 10. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Can I bring something up about uh, Miller real quick? Yeah. He is a year older than I am. He is 23 <laughs> years old. If you show, I thought he was 35 at the least. <laughs> he looks, I don't know what it is about, unless you're Mark Marquez, or for the most part, Valentino for the longest time, or Maverick. You have to look like you're, you've been chain smoking cigarettes for 40 years to ride in MotoGP. I don't know what it is, but everyone looks, everyone looks tired. Everyone looks rough. Understandable, given they just had a back-to-back race weekend. But I don't know also, what's more, yes. Yeah, I don't know what's more surprising about that is the fact that Jack Miller looks like he's that old or the fact that this is year four for Jack Miller in the top flight now. Like, Ooh, if, right, yeah. he's been around a while too. Exactly, he's, he's, he's already now like racked up over 50 top flight races now. It's kind of scary how fast that's progressed. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think that's also maybe why he's way older is because he has been around for four years. Yeah, probably. <laughs> So two is up next, um, and the third round of the uh, intermediate class this season. And it has to be said, Moto Two. I'd argue, Dre, that was the best race of the three. Uh, the, the race we got in Moto Two. It certainly had the uh, the closest battle for the win, um, for the large part uh, between um, Alex Marquez uh, and Francesco Bagnaia. Um, and a race that Bagnaia won in the end for a second win out of three. Um, has to be said, after qualifying and the early part of the Grand Prix. Not a race victory that many of us saw coming because it looked like Alex Marquez is to lose. How many times have you have we made that story about Alex Marquez in his Moto2 career to date? Mm-hmm. 
a guy that Leo, he, he looks so strong in, in practice and in qualifying. He looks like it's going to be his weekend to lose. And it just doesn't quite materialize for him in the end on race day. It was Qatar, I think, was, was very similar to that as well. Where, mm, where his um, brakes uh, caught fire. It, before, before his brake caught fire there. And then he was in the leading group in that one. But uh, he's gone wingless so far this season. And you get this, mm -hmm. it, 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 it doesn't feel like he should be. Given no, he's they had get two enough, poles out of three. And is it two poles? I mean, he's looked like overall the fastest rider in the field so far this season, but he's 10 points off the top of the title race right now. And Pecco's won two out of three. Um, and that was the Pecco rode that fantastically. He broke it. It was as simple yeah. as that. Like he, he got into a dogfight with him. He forced Alex Marquez to ride over the limit, destroyed his rear tire. He was sliding around all over the place the last six laps of that race to the point where Miguel Oliveira almost gunned him down at the end. Yeah. I, I, must, I must say, well done to Alex Marquez for keeping his head screwed on for that final lap and not blowing it, basically, with Miguel Oliveira gunning him down towards the end of that race. But Pecco broke him. It was as simple as that. Like, if you, you put Marquez in an uncomfortable position... Um, just waited for Marquez to chew his tires up. He did, and, and then Pecco takes off and wins at a canter. It was a astute, very intelligent ride for such a talented young Italian. Um, but yeah, it did not look on at any point until the second half of that race, I would argue. But Pecco again, just just rode magnificently. I, I don't know if it was more obvious being there in person because uh, I think we saw more into turn one. Alex mm -hmm. was struggling with his rear at about lap five already. He was mm. smoking it all on his own, even when he had that huge gap. I don't, I don't know if he just didn't have the feel or if it's how he was so fast in qualifying and it just wasn't sustainable at race pace, but he just, I saw that rear tire after the race. Yikes. Mm. Yikes. Yeah, it, it didn't look. It, 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 yeah, it didn't look quite so bad on television. But uh, I think the second half of the race, it became much more visibly that he was struggling in those conditions. Yeah, it just it just kind of emphasised just which of the two riders had their head screwed on, I suppose, in that race. And but Pecco Bagnaia for so much of that race just appeared to just to be managing it. In the end, part, he, he quite simply just wore Alex Marquez down. Uh, it was the to win that race yeah. uh, and it just emphasizes i mean his future's already secure he's going to be a pramac ducati motor gp rider next season but with every passing grand prix it just emphasizes why so many motor gp teams were so keen on this guy i bet i i i almost wonder if the paddock stock and alex marquez is kind of he seems like an unfortunate ralph schumacher figure right now hmm. um where he would be very good if his brother did not exist. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but yeah, it is. yeah I, I just I, even even with without thinking about his brother, there just always Dre seems to be someone better than him uh, in Moto Two. Yeah. With every yeah. passing that goes by, I mean, previously it was it was Franco Morbidelli, and if he's not careful, I mean, we'll we'll talk about his race in a moment. But if he's not careful before long, it's going to be Juan Mir as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it's, I call it Thomas Lutti syndrome, where it's like, you're really, really good. It's obvious you're really, really good. It's just there's someone that comes around year on year who's like one, maybe two percent better. And it's it's it doesn't look like Marquez is going to be the guy this year. It's like he's had big chances to win races. I mean, Qatar wasn't really his fault, obviously, because of the burning break. But 
again, he faded in Argentina and compared to the stronger runners like Pacini and Xavi Vierge and, you know, Miguel Oliveira, who again is, you know, just again, just racking up good results. Not, maybe not great results, but good ones. He's not really put a foot wrong so far this season and got the most out of the KTM behind him. And there are, he's only four points behind Marquez in the championship now. So, yeah, it's it's not ideal. And it, it looks like Peko could be the dude this year. And, like, he's riding with a maturity way beyond his years. Mm-hmm. He was very impressive in Qatar and very impressive again here. Again, like, the ta- the tactical play of Banyaya and how he won that race was, was so impressive to me that how... He basically said he, he bullied Marquez. He put him in a corner where he didn't want to be and then broke him. And it, and that is a very impressive skill to have on someone who, again, looked like he was probably going to win the race going into Sunday morning. So um, it's alarming. I mean, I, I don't want to go down sibling rivalry between him and his brother because that's always going to be a little bit problematic. And we are talking about a demigod on a motorcycle. Yeah, he's never going to come out comparison favorably, is he? No, um, no yeah. it's, 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 it's an unfair fight, but... It looks like I'm, it looks like Marquez is a long-standing sufferer of Thomas Lutie syndrome, and I hope he can uh-huh. find a way over it because he he should be in the top class. I think he'd be a fantastic addition to the top class one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's be real, in marketing power, you've got two brothers in the yeah. top flight. Who doesn't want that? But at the same, but you know, it's 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 looking like he's still not quite the complete article just yet and he's still a, he's still a moto 3 world champion in his own right so he's, he's, got, he's got a great body of work to to look back on here whatever he here's does. a vision for the two of you pedrosa retires who do they hire for repsol alex marquez marquez and marquez at repsol honda <laughs> think of the marketing value there Oh, it makes me think back to the day or to the week where Alex Marquez won his Moto3 title. Remember it, Dre, where they had that test in Valencia? Um, oh, yeah. And, and, there was the famous, <laughs> uh, and there was the famous shot of Jack Miller and Aki Ayo sat in their garage looking absolutely like sick as a dog, even though um, Jack Miller was heading to MotoGP very, very shortly. But Alex Marquez mm. got the MotoGP test first. Um, yeah, and and um, the, 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 the picture of the 290. 290- Surrounding Valencia, yeah. Valencia. It's like well, that must have been like Valentino's worst nightmare. Oh my God! There's another Marquez around oh here. Oh God! There's two of them. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the two brothers riding uh, in tandem around Valencia. It was it was a great sight to see. But yeah, going back to that race of the weekend, that race from Marquez's point of view looked lost several laps before Peko finally overtook him. Um, it mm-hmm. just had that kind of feel to it, didn't it? Um, so Banyaya winning the Grand Prix and particularly impressive given how badly his his Argentine weekend went, where he qualified poorly and didn't really move a lot further forward from there. Um, Finished down in, what was it, ninth place back in Argentina. So to bounce back and win his second race from three and regain the championship lead tells us a lot again uh, about Peco. Marquez was second in the end and third going to Miguel Oliveira, who, as Dre mentioned, just continues to rack up those solid podium level results. That's Uh his... Um, second podium in a row, second third place in a row uh, for Miguel Oliveira, and he is right in the championship mix. But we have to talk about the man in fourth, Dre, who um, started the season steadily. He didn't qualify all that well in, in Qatar, but finished strongly in around the top 10. Uh, the Moto3 champion, Joan Mia, who dropped, I think, as low as 18th on the first lap of the Grand Prix, yeah. um, yet still came roaring back to finish fourth. And uh, yeah, this kid's getting the Angamoto 2 pretty quickly, isn't he? He's a fast learner, this kid, and that is a terrifying thought for everyone around him. I'll tell you a fun fact. He was 5.8 seconds off the lead after the opening lap. He finished the race 5.3 seconds 
off the win. So jo Joanne Mir's race pace, if you take away the opening lap, was faster than Pecco Bagnaia. Now, that is And he was overtaking point. people all the time. And yeah, it was overtaking people, and it was clean as a whistle the whole way through. Um, this kid is fast. This kid is extremely fast, and he's learning very, very quickly. Um, again, the flashes were always there. I mean, he, he, he was a little bit sick, obviously, in Qatar, still coming off the injury, and didn't look completely comfortable, but he's getting he's getting faster and faster by the round. He, he could be winning races by Saxon or in the way he's going at the moment. Um, this kid is immense, um, and that was a phenomenal performance from me. Um, just you know, just a couple of seconds shy of a podium, but uh, easily his most impressive showing in Moto2 today. And again, he's only going to get faster as time goes on, surely. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, it's an ominous thought for uh, for the rest of the field, and in particular, just to finish off on our discussion about Alex Marquez again, Alex Marquez's future. When people look at him and think of uh, potentially moving him to a MotoGP seat, they're probably going to look at his teammate instead, aren't they? Because <laughs> Joan Mir just seems yeah. to have that that upside, and he's that little bit sort of he's that little bit younger, that little bit less experienced, and probably has a greater, a higher ceiling than Alex Marquez uh, ultimately. Um, it was also an impressive result for the guy who finished just behind me in the end. Uh, a rider who we, I don't think, have mentioned at all in this season, or indeed ever on this show. Um, <laughs> but, but we're going to mention him now, Ika Laquona. Um, the young Spaniard on the other Swiss Innovative Investors KTM. Not, not the one that you always hear Keith Ewan and the BT Sport gang talking about. Um, because that one crashed out on the first lap of the Grand Prix. Um, we'll talk <laughs> to Sam Lowe's in a second. Um, but a great result for Ika Laquona. Quite clearly his career best. Um, in Moto2, fifth position for him on the KTM, overtaking Brad Binder on the final corner to do it, um, which, uh, <laughs> nice. which tells you all you need to know about how good his ride was, so well done to him, um, but let's quickly talk about his teammate, guys, because um, he came back down from Moto2 last year, um, or from MotoGP last year, back to Moto2, the class that he'd already won in, and won at this circuit um, a few years ago, um, but already at this very early stage, with I think only four points on the board for him, even at this early stage, guys, Sam Lowe's isn't going to win this championship, is he? Doesn't Probably like not. It. Go on, Pat. I don't. I don't think so. That's all I had. I. I don't think he's. And, think and he, he was. He was thinking. Early. He was thinking title, wasn't he? Preseason. I he's, think those hopes he, are already he, gone. He's already he fifty. Looked, yeah, he's fifty-four points behind Pecco Bagnaia already. Uh, three, looked, three rounds. He looked sad all weekend. I'm just going to put that out there. It, it it didn't look promising out there. Like him and like have him and who yeah, were both thinking big things for this season. The British contingent once again has shit the bed. Um, you guys are all shocked, clearly. Mm. Um, um, but uh, yes, the Brits talk a good game, but once again fall at the lot fall at the last. Um, in this case, the first. Um, yeah, Sam Rose is now fifty four points off the off the title lead. He's only got three points to his name all season after finishing thirteenth in Argentina. It's just not worked out for Sam Lowe so far this season. And it's weird because, again, the pace has been there yeah. on occasion. It was, it was very fast in Qatar. Um, it was right up there with, with the front runner. So I don't understand what's happened with Lowe's. For me, um, uh, for me, that, that that's the worst thing about it is that for, for several times, in just about every Grand Prix weekend so far, Sam Lowe's has finished a session or been in at some stage in a session, top of the timesheets or towards the top. He qualified second, let's not forget. Um, for this Grand Prix, just behind Alex Marquez, the pole man, um, yeah. and yet again we're talking about Sam Lowe's of you know showing great promise during a race weekend, qualifying well, or showing great pace in practice and qualifying, 
it crashes out of the race. And and, and that we, we've had we had the discussion, didn't we, in previous shows, Dre, about Chaz Davies and his crashing out of races when he's mm. on the limit and thinking, is that just Chaz? Is that what Chaz is always going to be? And I kind of fear now, is this what Sam Lewis is only ever going to amount to? A great rider with great pace that always crashes far too often. Because surely he'd have cracked it by now. Surely he would have ironed out of his game by now. Surely moving down a class would have told him that there's clearly, whether whether you agree with his demotion out of MotoGP or not, there were clearly elements of his game that he had to improve on if he was going to be considered a legitimate MotoGP rider of the future. Um, and well, yes, we're, we're only three yeah. rounds into this season, but seems like the same Sam Lowe's. Well, that's the thing. Like I said, 50, if he's 54 points behind Pecco, you might as well chalk his name from now. He's not going to win the position. No. And this, this, this is year four of him in Moto2. It's year five of him as a Grand Prix motorcycle racer in general. Um, I, we, we, we Obviously, much has been made, and we, we were sympathetic towards his time at a pretty, because it looked like a pretty and never really believed in him to begin with, to be honest, which is a shame. Um, but he's coming to Moto2. My brother Ryan, who, who I'm going to be doing a podcast with very soon, by the way, keep an eye out for that. Uh, but brother Ryan said to me straight up that he had Sam Lowe's to win the title this year. He thought this was this was going to be the year that Lowe's puts it all together. And I don't think that was a reasonable prediction. No, not at all. Um, not I, at I, all. Thought, I thought that was a very reasonable guess, given his experience in the class and you know, um, his, his again the fact he was very fast in twenty six twenty sixteen before his season completely exploded at the end of the year with three DNFs in the last five rounds. Um, it's it, uh, it, it's it's frustrating because again, Lowe's has fantastic speed. I just don't think his riding style suits these 600cc bikes. I really don't think he does. I think he might be better off doing a Sandro Cortese and maybe finding World Supersport and giving that a go. Because That's the title he's already um, won. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I don't think that this is going to be a title for him. It's going to be the think... British Keaton Safoglu. Yeah, why not? Right? You know, if <laughs> it's... Uh... It's the way it's going right now. I just don't feel like this is the right class for him because he's never really been able to attain his full potential. No, it's it's a shame for Sam Lowe's, who um, yeah he did finish the race, but he was way outside the points after remounting um, off his first lap crash. Um, let's run you through the Moto Two result then. Banyaya, the brilliant winner from Marquez in second, but Calix won two. First KTM was Oliveira in third. Uh, with Joan Mir, a brilliant fourth. Ika Lacuona, fifth. Brad Binder, the former Moto3 champion, sixth. Matai Pasini, who headed into the race as the championship leader, finished down in seventh uh, and thus lost the championship lead. We'll tell you how that shakes out in a second. Jorge Navarro, eighth. Dominic Egerton, ninth. He won't be at Jerez, by the way, next weekend. He's uh, broken his hip in a uh, training accident this week. That is uh, awful. And he is out. Ow. And he is out of the Spanish Ow. Grand Prix at Jerez next week. Uh, he finished ninth last weekend, just ahead of Lorenzo Baldazzari. Uh, the rest of the points were handed out to Isaac Vinales in 11th, cousin of. Uh, Simone Corsi, 12th. Luca Marini, half-brother of, in 13th. Uh, Andrea Locatelli, 14th. And Fabio Quattararo getting the speed up into the points uh, in 15th position, just ahead of Romano Fanati. Championship standings then. Bagnaia leads by 10 uh, from Pasini. Uh, he has 57 to Pacini's 47. Marquez is level with the Italian in second. Uh, Miguel Oliveira is fourth, just four behind uh, Pacini and Marquez. Baldassari has dropped all the way down to fifth. Uh, Vieje, who crashed out himself out of a podium position, is sixth. Uh, Joamia up to seventh ahead of Brad Binder. Lacorna is ninth, and Agata is in tenth position. Moto3 quickly then. Um, and it, it, it's one of my sort of complaints, broad complaints about Kota that 
time constraints have ensured that we're not going to broadcast about the fact that it tends to space the field out given how long a track it is and moto 3 kind of exemplifies that and we don't tend to get the traditional huge group fights that we tend to get in many moto 3 races at kota um jorge martin kind of saw to that didn't he guys because with about five laps to go jorge martin quite brilliantly broke the toe and wasn't seen again yeah he he walked it once we uh once we got out uh the, yeah the field of angry bees was not as <laughs> um was not as impressive as it was the past couple of years um i i talked to uh hotel about this the young german mm. uh mm-hmm. and uh yeah he, he thinks that coda with the long straights is just kind of a not a great track for Moto3, um, but I, I thought the Moto3 race was still plenty entertaining. Hmm. Yeah, it was um, It was entertaining by normal standards, perhaps by Moto3 standards, it was a bit of a dud, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which kind of tells us more about Moto3, doesn't it? But yeah, I mean, what an impressive victory uh, for Martin, who, again, like Bagnaia, started the season very well with a victory in the opening round, then kind of dipped in Argentina, mainly due to his uh, slick tyre gamble on the formation lap. Um, in Argentina, which didn't work for him. He finished that race um, down in 10th. But so impressive, Dre, wasn't it? The way he just controlled that at the front and then with around a third of the race to go, just left them ball behind, didn't he? And just a, a just a supreme victory for him and just it underlines why this guy is for so many the championship favourite. He might be the best Jorge in bike racing right now. <laughs> yeah. I choked at the Harmo Sport 101. Um, yeah, he is, he's sensational, this kid. My word, um... Like to break the toe in any Moto Three race takes a hell of a lot of effort. To do it at Kota is very impressive indeed. Given that 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 lengthy straight in the middle is probably good for half a second, um, if 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 you're in if you're in the right toe. So the fact that Jorge Martin broke out and won that by a second and a half is very impressive indeed. Um, to, again, the, the thing about Jorge Martin is just his raw speed is just so fantastic in Moto3, whether it be in qualifying over a single lap or whether it be in, in, in race trim now. He seems to be showing that off more often, um, where he just, he, just, he just is able to put together um, a, a, a full race like, like that better than anyone else in the class can at the moment, whether it be a dogfight like he had with can it or in terms of just raw speed where he's able just to rip a couple of laps together at the end of that race and check out it was fantastic um brilliant performance from jorge martin like easily now title favorite if you ask me absolutely yeah he he knew the exact right time when he still had the tire to just peace out and just finally yeah break the toe which anyone being able to break that toe on a bike with that capacity on that long straight is something special it is, and we, we saw, well, we see on countless occasions in qualifying just what incredible single lap pace he has. Um, as Jorge Martin, that was, I think it was his 10th career pole position, uh, obviously all of which have come in the Moto3 class. And yeah, it's very, very rare that we see riders in this class um, have that level of dominance in qualifying, given how powerful a toe is. But so often we see Jorge Martin just riding around on his own and outpacing everybody uh, to take pole positions. So um, some of that single lap pace perhaps paid him back there where he just basically went into time attack mode and broke them um, with around a third of the race to go. Um, and Ea Bastianini was also able to break a toe and break the uh, the battle for second last year because there was so much battling behind him that he was able just to drop them um, towards the end of the race. And a much needed result there, wasn't it, Dre, for Bastianini, who, to his credit, after that crash in Qatar at the start of the season, which cost him a lot of points, he's responded pretty well to it, hasn't he, with two very strong podium finishes. And he has indeed. Very impressive um, from Inea. 
expected from an Bastianini this season, really. Um, fourth in Argentina and then a second again here. Led us, led us to chasing group. Just he got to the he got to the front of the second group, and by the time he got there, and he he broke Marco Bezzecchi, um away um, in the end there, but. He just left it too late to realistically mount the challenge. No one is beating Jorge Martin in open air. Um, no chance. Um, no. So, you know, just 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 consolidate second, take twenty points home, and that's a very nice haul for him and the Leopard team in general. Um, so yeah, like just take what you can get in front of you. That was a good performance from Enea, and nice to see him back up at the front end again. Yeah, a uh, great result for him um, in second place, and he's quietly brought himself into the championship picture. Bastianini, he's still 22 points off the championship leader, um, but that's by no means an insurmountable gap. And uh, Bastianini just emphasising why we spoke so highly about him at the start of the season. We didn't necessarily speak so highly of Marco Bezzecchi at the start of the season, but I think we all are now. And I think we're all well aware um, of just how impressive a kid he is, not just for his victory in Argentina, but backing that up with a podium in the dry um, at the Circuit of the Americas. The top KTM again, uh, and third place for him. Um, and I don't know about you, Pat, you might have seen him from close quarters in the press conference after he got his podium, but the kid speaks phenomenally well as well. Um, for just such a young rider who English isn't his first language, because mm-hmm. he's young Italian, that VR46 Academy, not only does it train great riders, but it, it seems to train them for this, this media-heavy world. It seems to train media-savvy riders. And just not an impressive kid, this Pizzecki, with every time we see this guy turn mm-hmm. a wheel. I, I I unfortunately did not see either the Moto Three or Moto Two uh, post race um, conferences just to the, the the pace of the the weekend uh, and I I, I like uh, getting out of the media center for the races themselves just me uh, but um, no yeah everyone I interacted with who was a VR forty six academy person uh, besides Hotel they were all the most polished immediately like know how to talk on the record know what you can still say off the record and not still wind up with anything super incriminating to your name like mm-hmm. like i think valentino running that as a both uh training and media training academy is brilliant it's it's what very clever it's what every uh driver or writer academy in the modern era needs to be you can't just be, oh, here's uh, you're part of our pipeline and you have access to our resources. We're not going to actually tell you how to not screw up on social media or put your foot in your own mouth too hard. It's 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 really refreshing, and I feel like this crop of kids is doing really well. They are. I mean, they they're gonna they've already got their first MotoGP rider in, in Franco Bobadelli and a Moto2 champion. They may well have another in Bagnaia. Um, and yeah, Bezeki appears to be the latest in a long line of them who are just so impressive. We also saw briefly, didn't we, Dre, another of them in, in Young Foggia who led the Grand Prix very early on um, in the race. Fortunately, fell all the way out of the points down to 16th in the end, but he showed us a little bit of what he's capable of uh, earlier in that Grand Prix. Um, the big mystery, I suppose, from that Moto3 Grand Prix, though, was what on earth happened to Aaron Cannon? Um... Uh... Mm, yeah, we'll get back, back to you on that one, listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Eighth in the um, end. Eighth in the end, and he, he, I think he, he, he fell back to ninth or tenth in the middle period of that race. He was really struggling out there, which is weird for a guy who looked so dominant here last year. He was so, so fast. And 
Um, unfortunately, we predicted his early demise on Mike Live when basically uh, Romano Fanati did the metaf- metaphorical equivalent of punching him in the nose a few times and kind of eventually f- fell off. Um, but it just didn't happen for him again here during the race where he never going to win that. He dropped off the leading group quite early, was in the second group, fell, I think, as low as 10th or 11th. He clawed his way back up into 8th place. But, yeah, it just didn't really work out for 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 Canet this weekend. And now he's lost a lot of ground for to Jorge Martin. He was leading the championship. He's now down um, by 7 points after the, after the, the first 3 rounds. So, uh, ground for Canet to make up. I don't think there's any reason to ring too many alarm bells just yet, but just a bit surprising to see him so off the pace. Yeah, strange one for him, wasn't it? It was uh, a strange old race because he qualified fairly well, hadn't he, Can He qualified towards the front and, yeah, based on his form in previous years, as you mentioned, we expected him to be right at the front again, but he just faded the longer the race went on, fell all the way down to eighth in the end. Um, let's run you through the Moto3 result. Martin winning in the end from Bastianini and Bezecchi. Um, Bezecchi once again, the top KTM, just ahead of Andrea Migno, who came from way deep on the grid um, to finish fourth, uh, kind of mugging Fabio Di Gianantonio at the final corner, who tried to snatch the final podium spot from Bezecchi and ended up dropping his spot himself to Migno. Uh, Di Gianantonio finished in fifth, ahead of Philippe Ertel sixth. Um, Jakob Kornfeil, another rider who's qualified poorly, but came through in the end to finish seventh, ahead of Canet in eighth. Tatsuki Suzuki with his first points of the season in ninth, and Livio Loy in tenth. Uh, the rest of the points uh, were Ayumu Sasaki uh, in 11th, Gabby Rodrigo 12th, Darren Binder, his first points of the year in 13th of the Red Bull KTM IO squad, John McPhee, who qualified so well, faded to 14th, and Albert Arenas in 15th spot in the end. Championship standings, uh, Martin back in the lead after losing the championship lead after Argentina. He's seven ahead of Canet now. That's 55 plays 48. Bezeki is third on 43, so he's only 12 off the lead himself. Di Gian Antonio is fourth on 37. Bastianini fifth on 33. Then comes Dallaporta in sixth. Migno up to seventh. Rodrigo down to eighth. Antonelli, who crashed early on, down to ninth. And Jakob Kornfile completes the top ten. Before we go then, uh, let's talk about the future of MotoGP uh, in the United States. Um, we just have time for it before we go on this edition of Bike Live. World Superbikes will follow in the very next episode of the show um, because this is a, such a stacked episode. Um, Whoops. The, yeah, our bad on that one, listeners. It was one of those weekends where just so much happened. But uh, yeah, let's talk about it. The United States Grand Prix, or the Grand Prix of the Americas, to give it its official title, is now in year... Six as uh, handily helped out by the number of races that Mark Marquez has won there. Um, it's it's and, the Marquez scale. Yeah, it's the Marquez <laughs> scale. And where is MotoGP in terms of its position in the United States? Because it's it's tried a few venues. It's fair to say it's tried Laguna Seca. Um, it's tried Indianapolis. It's now tried the Circuit of the Americas. And uh, this is probably the closest venue, I suppose, Pat, the MotoGP has come to finding itself a home in the United States, would it be fair to say? But is there still work to be done before MotoGP is officially at home in the United States? Because I still think there's work to be done. I mean, we saw the circuit not particularly in the best of shape this weekend, for instance. Um, I mean, they tried mm-hmm. to ground out some of the bumps, literally with weeks to go before the race started. Um, and the riders 
were not particularly happy about that. We saw a lot of complaints about the the dust that was being kicked up. It looked like a bit of a sandstorm, yeah. didn't it, on the pack straight on Friday mm-hmm. in particular. Where does MotoGP sit in terms of its its place in the United States and its place at Kota? Uh, I there was a couple outlets that uh, report on some old news that Kota is in financial crisis and that's why they couldn't repave the the ugly not ugly the 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 business part of coda is very healthy but that also unfortunately means taking the track down for a month or two for a full repave is mm. almost impossible that track is hot to paying customers 47 weeks out of a year that is insane for any track of that uh of that scale um I think my most illuminating uh, comments on the state of the track actually came from uh, Otel, uh, uh, the Moto3 rider, because he he kind of showed where the grinding of the track didn't work and also what the actual rider's feelings were on everything, which he says Coda could probably go two or three more years uh without a repave if it doesn't get too much worse from here and if you noticed in the post-race press conference all of the three riders kind of said that yeah we could continue riding here like this it can't get any worse than this Mm -hmm. this is the problem coda has with also having an f1 contract that uh is continuing where the 2017 spec f1 cars as we know they do amazing amount of damage to a racing circuit. Um, but on the flip side, I don't think the race in Coda is any in any danger, even if the track got worse. They would make it work. Um, Dor- Dorna and the teams, they, they love coming to Austin. They love the Texas. They can ham it up with rodeo. They love the way they can market going to Texas. They love Austin as a new global city that people, that tourists especially, are excited to go to. Um, and then there's the fact that no one else in the U.S. is really bidding for a MotoGP race right now. Mm. Right? Yeah. Indy doesn't want it back. It can't go back to Laguna. Uh, I think maybe I don't know where else they would go. No, I don't think there is anywhere. I mean, I Barber, remember maybe World Superbikes used to go to Miller uh, a few years ago in the circuit in uh, Salt Lake City, but that Oof. is you're going back about six, seven, or eight years for that. Um, but but yeah, I mean, uh, there there are two very separate debates. I think we need to distinguish because it's very easy for it to come across wrong in terms of a circuit being fit for purpose and a circuit suiting bikes are two very, very sif- uh, different uh, issues and arguments entirely. Um, and I mean, it, it is fair to say, I think, Dre, that it's not a particularly good look when you know those bumps being ground out takes place so soon to the race actually happening, so soon that you know, even Michelin could react to it um, in terms of yeah. which tyres they brought to the race weekend, um, which I think is a bit... I think that is regrettable. Um, but in terms of the circuit itself... Um, I mean, it's so huge, and, and and Pat's right to bring up the the issue of the Formula One cars, and you know it, that's not unique to Cota, of course. That happens at Silverstone, uh, that happened previously in Barcelona. Um, you know they and you know Sepang encountered the same problem because they repaved their circuit a few years ago as well, um, where mm-hmm. circuits that share Formula One and MotoGP 
um, can't please both because the, the MotoGP riders complained about the bumps, the Formula 1 drivers complained about the increase in tarmac runoff, and neither camp ends up particularly happy over it. Um, but in terms of Kota itself, uh, we kind of briefly asked before we started recording whether any particularly great MotoGP races have taken place there. Um, and mainly, due to Marc Marquez, there haven't been any outright classics there. But does the circuit, in your view, Dre, particularly... Is it particularly conducive to great motorcycle racing? Short answer, no. Um, okay, first of all, I have to say that MotoGP standards are insanely high when it comes to quality craft. It's like we're spoilt as, mm. as GP fans more often than not. I mean, last season alone kind of said that we had five or six legitimate nine to ten out of ten races. Um, like So anything like Kota, which is more of a five or a six... Like, it's not a bad race. It's just a bad race for MotoGP. And that's, mm. I think that's where we've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to be a little careful on that and to put shit into perspective on this one because it's not bad in the grand scheme of things. It's just not good for MotoGP. And that's a shame. I mean, as you guys alluded to as well, you're absolutely right. It is a matter of you can't please everybody because most of these tracks double up as an F1 race at some point on the calendar some um like i mean i remember lewis hamilton earlier this year talking about how he, he felt like catalonia had lost some of its character as a circuit this year during testing because they repaved the whole thing he, and, and i was like hey lewis have you forgotten the giant fucking chicane at the end of the circuit <laughs> like just, just just in case you may have forgotten but um no it's 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 it, 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 it causes problems because obviously these tracks have got to look out for themselves they have different markets to adhere to. They have different business goals, and not every track can afford to resurface every two or three years. Like, like I mean, Catalonia, I don't think had repaved themselves for a good 15, 20 years before we got to this last off season. Um, it's 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 a problem, and you can't have it all your own way on this one. Either all F1 or all MotoGP. So it's a shame. Um, from what my observation is, is that I think Coach is a fantastic facility. It's a fantastic racetrack. It, 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 it generates good fans and great attendances. And it's a, it's in a cool part of the world, by all accounts. It's just a shame that the track itself is much more of an F1 track and has been over the years compared to a MotoGP track. It's a shame, but that just tends to be how it is. I also, well, I do also wonder, though, I wonder if it would be so bad if it wasn't for the fact that Mark Marquez is so yeah. terrifyingly brilliant around here. And I, I think that's also part of the problem. Yeah, I feel like if we had had any other winners here it might be a different bit of a conversation also i do want to point out that usually the best show in the top class has been saturday and we've had some of the most amazing moto gb qualifyings i've ever oh, seen Marquez is thanks to Kota. yeah oh good god that is the single most heroic thing i've ever seen in person that a writer has done <laughs> i like Coda has thrown up these amazing moments, but yeah, the battle for the lead isn't always there. So I feel like it suffers in fan opinion. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm sure that they are open to the possibility of having more rounds in the U.S. again, or maybe even. I think I was actually having trouble figuring out uh, if how many years left on the MotoGP contract at Coda we have. I think it's two more other people were saying we have four more races here at least because i think the 10-year deal was what was initially yeah, signed but i think that 10-year deal 
I think the 10 year deal was also the deal that got uh, a bunch of people into a lawsuit. Hmm. So I am not sure what the current deal at Coda is, but I don't know. I, I think it's a very good place for MotoGP right now. I think we might want to look at, did you guys ever see the uh, course that Aussie V8 Supercars ran here? No. The modified Coda? I did see that, actually. Yeah. I think we should explore maybe looking at an alternate layout for Coda. I think that might alleviate a lot of the problems here, because the short... If yeah, you can it pull is the current layout Coda, is too long for bikes. I think it's too long for bikes, and I think the long lap... Uh, I think the long lap affects how dominant someone like Marquez can be. It naturally spreads the field out, I suppose, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. If I could ask one slightly, I don't know whether it's controversial or not, but a question that's just occurred to me from a column that Michael Scott's written in MCA this week, referring, and his headline is, Dorna's American Dream is Fading, um, which I'm not quite sure whether that's true or not. But, I mean, we currently have... Uh, four races take place in Spain. We're having a new race this season in, in Thailand. We've got a race currently penciled in next year for Finland, although that may not happen, depending on how the progress of that circuit um, moves on. Um, we've got other countries like Indonesia wants to get involved. We've got so many other countries that want a spot on the MotoGP calendar. Does MotoGP need an American Grand Prix? There's only one American rider in the paddock at the moment. I think that's just the reason why you should have one. I mean, let's not... No, that's three American rounds on the calendar. Yeah. Um... And we're going with us going to Indianapolis and Laguna Seca. And that American market is is like it's not that the market is fading because America's full of like hardcore bike fans all over the place. And there mm. there is a good dedicated mass that will go to whatever there's a MotoGP race in the country. They will go to Laguna Seca. They will go to Cota in Texas. They will go to Indianapolis. They'll 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 just follow the crowd on this one. But the fact that their biking contingent is, in terms of star power is fading, I think it's all the yeah. more important that we have a race in the United States to remind the world that, yeah, like, remember when we used to have people like, you know, Ben Spees and Colin Edwards and, you know... Randy. Like, yeah, yeah, Randy as well. And, like, we've had, like, obviously, obviously God rest his soul, Nicky as well. Like, we've been Here. very lucky to have a, such an American influence in the sport. We, sh we shouldn't be looking away from that. We should be trying to enhance no. that. Yeah. Here's also the hard pill to swallow with the fans that come. There are a lot of them. I won't say the majority, and I won't even say half of the entire crowd, but I say about 30%. They will go to any MotoGP race that comes up in the U.S. Mm -hmm. They will not go to any other MotoGP races, and I don't think they'll watch every MotoGP race. I think that is what Dorna has had such a hard time wrapping their head around is that American motorcycle fans are fickle. They are fickle and hard to please. Uh, and I think, I think that might be part of the issue. I don't, I don't have any hard statistics to back this up, but I talk to a bunch of people who are hardcore diehard motorcycle people in the U.S. around Dakota, where they were like, yeah, I used to go to the Laguna race, and then it stopped, so I started coming to this race, but I don't really follow the series. Which you know, shocking. They're just going shocking. for like they're just going for that like they're just going for that one-off like experience or the one-off spectacle of just having a bike race in America. Yeah, kind of. It's it's. Yeah. I think the American market is 
the American market is tough to crack for Dorna. It's tough to crack for FOM. It's tough to crack for the FIA. It's American racing fans are weird. We are weird people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think. I don't know if we need more rounds in the U.S. or a different venue in the U.S. to try to keep poking this fire. Or, I mean, the crowd was over a hundred thousand people on race day again. It's the second most attended event at Coda every year. Only, and I think in 2015 it might even beat F1. But then again, F1 had the nightmare weather in 2015. Mm. But I, I don't know. The thing is, people are talking about what hap- needs to happen with the event, but I don't think anyone can agree what needs to happen with the event. I don't know if changing anything will hurt or help. I think it's a really weird situation we've ended up in. Granted, I'm Coda's biggest mark. I have a Coda tattoo, but like, I, I don't think it needs to go anywhere else. But at the same time, I'm always willing to entertain the idea of Coda not having a MotoGP race, even though I think it is the place to have it in the U.S. Hmm. Interesting topic. We will no doubt revisit it again uh, in the future. That was the Grand Prix of the Americas, the third round uh, of the MotoGP season, and that was um, the latest episode of Bike Live. And, and the first first few, Pat, many many thanks to you uh, for joining us. Uh, you're more than welcome again uh, in the future. Just no, first I would of love all. To be back. First of all, before we let you go, just remind the listeners once again where they can find you and your work. Uh, You can find me at The DFL Show, which is just search The DFL Show on Twitter, Facebook. We're on iTunes. Uh, We should probably try to hop on that Spotify train. Hmm. I hear that's the new place to put your podcast. I have tried. Um, I have not had an email back yet for what it's worth. (laughs) I hear hear that. I hear they're a little fickle of getting a hold they of it. I'm using they the are. word fickle a lot today, and I don't know why. If the boot fits. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, you could find my work over at Hooniverse.com. I will be publishing my uh, MotoGP. I kind of did it as a notebook slash diary this year, which is why it's taken a little bit of time to get up. Um, but no, I thank you guys so much for having me. I love coming on. 101 i am more than happy to be on bike live and 101 whenever you guys need uh another loud american so we're totally short on those lately you know i mean ryan it's all good it's all good Um, it is is indeed but uh this is fantastic i uh i thank you guys and uh Thank you guys for giving me another outlet to talk about what an amazing weekend it is. If you guys can make it to the MotoGP round in Austin, it is a spectacle. It is being there, I think, also kind of tints my view on what a good race it was. Because smelling the fuel, smelling the tires, smelling the brakes, seeing them move, like, it doesn't look possible. It doesn't look possible on TV. And then you take that layer of abstraction out of it and you're just, you look at it and you go, I can't do that. I could train for a hundred years and I would not be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I find is so special about these events. But no, thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, oh, and you can find me on Twitter at PartyPat116. Go follow, him. go follow him. Huge, huge thank you uh, to Patrick Hofstetter for joining us uh, this week. 
Um, as I mentioned, that was episode 56 of Bike Live. Places you can find us, uh, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101 at motorsport underscore 101 on Twitter. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. And our website is motorsport101.net. If you back us on Patreon at the $5 level, you earn yourself early access and to this show and to Motorsport 101. Uh, we very much appreciate your input on there. Dre, in particular, is it's enabling him to uh, upgrade his uh, audio equipment uh, for future shows. Yes. Uh, so, so a huge thank you to all of you for backing us on Patreon. If you back us at the $10 level as well, you'll have access to the Discord server that we record this show on, so you can listen to it live, um, if that is your bag. Um, huge thank you uh, to Pat and Dre for joining us. We will be back like very, very soon uh, for episode 57 because we've still got World <laughs> Superbikes to cover. So join us for that um, very, very shortly as well. Huge thank you to Pat and Dre for joining me. That was episode 56 of Bike Live as Mark Marquez hit the rest of MotoGP for six. We will see you very soon. Mm-hmm.